Welcome to the Rodeo Adventure Labs podcast. This is the AMR miniseries, episode two. The last time we left off, we were just setting the stage. I think the theme for this episode is more about being human, uh, talking about uh, our journey and the road to AMR, but by being human, sometimes there's failures along the way. So um, I think it's just a collective amount of stories of what we're doing, where we've been, Uh, What are some of the things that we've tried? What are we tinkering with uh, as we prepare for a very significant event? Yeah, I I feel like last time we left off, Ashley, what was the event that you were heading out to called? (laughs) I was heading out to Virginia to do um, the Alekhenny, I don't know how to pronounce it, Mountain Loop AML, not to be... Yeah, not with the Atlas Mountain Race, so kind of a, a little bit different. But um, so another yeah, I was headed to Virginia. Cool. Uh, for how long was that course? It was a 400-mile course. And I had a goal to do it in less than two days. Um, and, <laughs> you know, you know it, went, it went really well for the first... 315 or 50 miles and I was on course and then I realized I had downloaded the wrong course at about mile 325 or so and uh yeah (laughs) I I call I called it yeah Um, because I had I was on the wrong course that was wild to watch um I feel like we were all sort of full of optimism in anything is possible. Yeah. As we disbanded from that <laughs> opening episode. Yeah. We're like, this is yeah. the, the March on Morocco. We're just going to go there and everything's going to be great. Uh, and, and it's not been a bad year, but um, it's been an up and down trajectory towards it. So we've had some good rides and some bad rides, some good races and some bad races. So we'll, we'll talk about some of that. And then David, what were you on the cusp of? I, had we left for Coca Pelli or had we gotten back? It was the opening weekend, I believe. Yeah, it was like a couple of days out from Coca Pelli. Uh, we were right about to start, um, and it was your that's your first bikepacking uh, trip period, and then also Peter's uh, it was first. P- Peter's first. It was my second. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Brian was also along on that trip. I'd say that was his first. So we had some newbies that we were inducting into the cult of sleeping outside. Um, and then Nick and I had, had made an attempt on the Cocopelli once, and also David. And, um, yeah, it didn't fully end well. We didn't make the whole route that time. So we were, I mean, it ended well. We were alive. Yeah, that's true. It just didn't end as planned. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> there so, wasn't the victory march. Yeah. So we thought it would be a good time to like circle back and say, all right, how's it, how it started? How it, how's it going? Uh, with, with, I don't know, prepping. We, that was months ago. How many months ago was that? Was that, that April? was April 24th. So okay. that would have been about three, two and two months ish. 
two months ago, right? And then we're how many months out from AMR right now? I'd say less than three and a half. That's horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> about three months out. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, and I think at the time I thought there's an infinite amount of time between us and the race. And now I'm starting to feel like, oh, man, we're going to have to really start getting serious really quick. It definitely feels like the walls are closing in. Um, so Nick guide us. <laughs> so Ashley, you're about to, uh, talk through what happened at your event, um, which finding out you're on the wrong course, 325 miles in has probably got to feel like a bad dream. Like pinch me, wake me up. That's horrifying. Yeah. It was really, cause I was doing so well and my body felt well, um, you know, I, I was flip-flopping with second place and, um, I was on the right course for, like I said, for at least 300 miles of it. And at that point I was also a day and some change in, I had kind of figured I'm going to, you know, break that two day marker. Very exciting. You know, everything's working out. Uh, equipment is awesome. Body is awesome. And then it was my father-in-law actually, who is just such a sweet man. And it's, followed me through these adventures pretty closely. And he, he was the one who tuned me in on it through a text. He's like, man, I think you're off course. And I said, Oh no, no, no. You know, I'm, I'm on course. And I kept going and I, and I got this feeling like, what if, what if you had that track that you had downloaded that you thought was right. And you had erased one of them because you thought that that one was the wrong one. What if you erased the wrong one? And you were on the wrong course, you know, so I erased the right course, I guess. And I was on the wrong course and it's sure, sure enough, it, I double checked and it was the truth. I was on the wrong course and, um, it was devastating, absolutely devastating. Um, I had downloaded the right course on Gaia GPS on my Garmin, um, a couple other things. And so the wrong course I had on um, ride with GPS, which there was also the right course on there. I just had made the mistake. It was totally operator error. And <laughs> I ended up way out of the course uh, somewhere in West Virginia, West Virginia. <laughs> and, oh, um, this, this sweet young man picked me up and, and I had him take me to another place. And then it was this hotel that he dropped me off of. That was like the grossest, seediest hotel I'd ever seen. I couldn't stay there. So I decided to ride back to Blacksburg, Virginia, even though it was really late at night and I was, you know, off and it, it, it became a true ultra, you know, where I was kind of in and out. I had no, I'd stopped eating once I realized that I was off course. And the problem with Virginia and West Virginia is that, you know, a lot of those little gas stations and stuff close at like nine o'clock and I had no more food, but this one little pop tart. <laughs> so I ended up just digging so deep. I had to call my husband. I was on the phone with him for at least an hour as I'm trying to get back to Blacksburg because I'm so tired. And, and at that point, the emotions, you know, were, were huge. The regret, the remorse, what a failure, you know, how could I be a pro, da, 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 da. all those negative thoughts were really in my head. And, and somehow I, I um, this, this girl, actually, I was only about five miles away from Blacksburg and she pulls over and she says, man, I decided I had seen you riding a couple hours ago this way. And I decided um, when I turned around, if you're a woman, I'm going to pick you up. And I said, I'll take it. I'll take that ride. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I took it and I got back to the hotel room at like three in the morning. And at that point I had ridden my 400 miles. Because <laughs> so, oh <my. laughs> I had gotten so far off. And um, 
it, it was just this just remorse, you know, but, but I, I took from it a couple of things, you know, one, I, I went and bought this Garmin E-Trex, which is this really cool little machine that takes double A batteries and you just follow that blue line and it's really obvious when you get off course. Um, so that was a learning experience there. And I learned that. And, and the second one was just that, you know, you can't always expect that everything's going to go correctly. There's just so much in these events that, that can happen, you know, <laughs> that, that are out of your control and, and it's okay. <laughs> Had it's anything okay. major gone wrong previously for you in like no. another event? Oh, hell yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've had, I mean, <laughs> so this wasn't um, your first brush with catastrophe. Um, no, it wasn't. I mean, the Arkansas high country race, I had, had multiple mechanicals. Um, I, I got, I've, I felt so sick one day and it was, it was really hard to come back after that. And, and the Colorado trail race, I had run out of food between Buena Vista and Silverton. And I mean, I was hearing voices you know, and I, I was so hungry. Um, I got off route so many times on that one too, because I, I was using my phone to navigate and I had to keep pulling it out. And so that was a learning wow. experience there. But um, yeah, you know, the, it, I, I feel like every single race that I've done, I've at least had something go wrong. You know, it just hasn't been that epic to where it was like, so off course. And, and now that I, now, you know, once I finished the, the, the race, I was like, really what I should have done is just backtracked. I wouldn't have gotten my under two days and I probably wouldn't have gotten second or third, probably third at that point or fourth even. But at least if I would have backtracked, then I could have gotten back on course and done it correctly, you know, and it would, that would have been the honorable, like right thing to do. But it, I just wasn't thinking straight. I was so upset, you know, that I just kind of made that decision. <laughs> yeah. And we had talked about in the first AMR podcast we did that, like things can go wrong uh, and, you know, most likely will in a lot of ways on some level or another. And we were all just sort of speculating like, yeah, maybe a part breaks or something like that. But loading the wrong map is super doable. Um, and that, you know, it's something we hadn't thought of, but something that can happen. And yep. that's kind of what makes the sport interesting is that it's not the tour de France. There isn't a course marshal at every corner and some cones yeah. and some spectators. Like it's up to you to be a really good bike rider and also be able to do 72 other things really well. Like, you know, manage your food and your batteries and your navigation and hydration. So yeah, if that danger well, wasn't there, then it wouldn't be as interesting. T totally. And, and, you know, and then of course, then the next very next race for me unbound 350, I learned that sometimes it's completely out of my control. Um, you know, that one was a, a race where it was like everything went wrong. Anything that could go wrong went wrong for me. And um, and then I found out my granddad died, you know, so it was just like Oof. just this really bad experience back to back. Um that sometimes things are literally out of your control. You can try to control every single variable that you can control, but at the end of the day, there's, there's, it's life, you know, like you can't, I, I'm kind of type A and want to control everything, but I can't. So that's just the way it is. So in Unbound, yeah. there was a crash and oh man, G epic. G GPS got and then ejected the and the light broke. Oh, like it was just... It was almost unbelievable when I heard the, like the roster so, of things. Yeah, it was pretty epic. I'll walk you all through it. 
So at about probably not even five miles in, I'm turning a corner and I, I don't even know how I went down. Like I, maybe I hit it too hot. I mean, it could have been my fault. Someone could have hit me a little bit at the back. Well, we were all kind of in a, in a pace line. Um, and it, it happened so quickly. Like, I mean, I was, before I knew it, I was down and sliding and I had a really, my left hip has had a really big hematoma on it. Um, and from the wreck, it compromised my lighting system, which was on my arrow bars. So it totally sheared off the light mount um, so that I could see through night. And all I had was a helmet, um, was a little headlamp, which for Unbound, if anyone has ridden it before, it's actually kind of a technical course. And you really do, if you're going to ride it through night, you might need a little more than a headlamp on your helmet. And it also somehow compromised my GPX, my GPS system, the, the way that I had mounted that on too, on the handlebar or actually on the stem, you know, but I, I picked myself up and I was like, okay, I'm last place currently, but I'm going to just get back on the bike. And I rode another 80 something miles and I worked my way up to fourth in the women's. Um, and I was at that point, I was like, okay, you know, this is, it's it, here it is. Just keep going. You've got this. Like I could probably at least try to take out third, you know, I'm going podium. So I want podium might not win it, but I can keep going. And I'm happy with that, you know? And so I'm looking around at sunsets come in and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to figure out how to, how to work this lighting system. Cause I can't see well with this headlamp. And while I'm doing that, I'm looking down, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I've got some zip ties, you know, in my bag, I always take zip ties and some duct tape, you know, ultra always have them, you know, <laughs> you never know what can go wrong. And as I'm looking for that, I blow through a corner and then I, quickly realize it on the e-tracks. Cause like I said, it's real easy. You just follow that line. You know, if you get offline, it'll, it'll, it'll tell you. And I realize I'm like, Oh crap. Okay. I'm off course. So to turn around and I'm looking, I'm okay. I'm almost back on course. Okay. I'm almost back on course. I look down, I'm looking up, you know, and I'm just think about the lighting system later. You're going to have to figure that out. And I look back down and the e-tracks is gone. Totally fell off. Oh, no. And I was like, huh, this is, this is becoming a very interesting day. And before that, actually, my derailleur from the wreck was pretty bad. So I had to stop a couple of times and try to readjust it. And um, it, so it was really not shifting. It wouldn't shift into the, the highest gear and the big gear. And um, so I kind of thought, okay, well, I can use this. I'm fine. Just keep going. I looked for, I don't know, 25 minutes for that E-Trex up and down that road where I know I lost it. It was a very short time. Never found it. Finally, this, and at that point, I just kind of started laughing. Like, I just have this overwhelming feeling that something is telling me that I should not do this race. And at that point, I had this car full of gentlemen pull up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, hey, I know I'm off course. And I lost this machine. Let me tell you about this thing. It's the coolest thing ever. It's called a Garmin E-Trex, blah, 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 blah. And they kind of laugh. And they look at me and he goes, we're the Garmin production team. <laughs> oh, <my>. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know what, guys? I have, I've been very emotional, like, it's really weird. Like even at the beginning of the course or the couple of day before I was super emotional, um, just not myself. And it, it was like, something was telling me all along that I was not supposed to finish this, this race. And I had this overwhelming weird feeling like if I would have kept pushing it, like I was going to get hit by a car or something. And, and my husband was going to have to come get my body in Kansas. I know that's dark, but like I, I had this just weird, overwhelming feeling. So I looked at the guys from Garmin. I said, you know what? I think I'm supposed to call this race. I can't find this. Will you help me find it? So at least I can have my E-Trex back. We looked for another 15 minutes. We never found it. Oh. So it was, they, Garmin did get me home, 
you know, <laughs> right, not right. the way I wanted it to. <laughs> the analog Garmin got you home. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And um, it, it was, uh, but, but, but the best thing was, was that the next day I was there for Jess at her aid station. And she told me, she was like, man, you're, you know, just see having you there was huge for me. And then I was there for Steven and his, his unbound experience. My death, my, my checkpoint death. <laughs> you, you, dude, your smile was, was like, a big deal. <laughs> and I was like trying to make you eat that roll. I did. You and carbs. you, yeah. you got it in me. Yeah. And then I took another yeah. one and ate it. Yeah. yeah. A whole other story. Huge. But yeah, I mean, it was, I huge. knew you had, were out when I started my unbound, uh, the smaller one. And, uh, and then I, you were kind enough to come out on course and help out. And Heck yeah. And that was honestly, selfishly super fun. Um, it was just, you know, you <laughs> ran into the, you saw me, you guided me into the checkpoint. And I was like, hey, silver linings. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I wasn't really very functional when, when, you, when you saw me. So, yeah, it's funny how things <laughs> like that work out. Um, it, it, it ended up being great. You know, yeah. it ended up being okay. Yeah. So two two failure races in a row. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's just so interesting to me. Just like that, like that that can even happen. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but like both of those things were so improbable, and then they happen. And I wonder, does that put you on your heels? Does that put you on a defensive stance, or can you just roll that into, hey, life happens, on to the next one, or do you does it? chip away at your confidence or does it just make you more resolved to like, you know, I don't know, is it, you can't be really more resolved not to crash. Right. But like, I don't know, secure your E-Trex better or quadruple check. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, is it totally. good or bad? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I think it, it, now that I'm kind of finally coming down off of all this stuff, it's to me, it's a good thing because it just makes me, who is it? I think hubris is a really, is a thing that we should all be careful of. You know what I mean? Like you don't, don't tempt the gods and think that you can do everything <laughs> or believe that you are this superhuman being. Um, Cause if you do, then you're going to fall, you know, don't fly too high. Yeah. So I, I would much rather be in the position of, I'm kind of feel like a nobody who's going to make a lot of mistakes than somebody who thinks they're this badass. you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm, now I'm happy that it happened because, you know, I mean, I guess I feel like now I can only go up, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a good, there's some good, there's some good stuff in all these failures. I've learned a lot and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still happy with me in the end. And that's a good thing. Cool. Yeah. It's got to help with resolve. Uh, the best season I ever had racing bikes was on the heels of the worst season I had when I moved to Colorado and I got, because uh, you just can't breathe when you get here from sea level. And I just, oh, yeah. I got pulled from races and I had, I had never had that happen. And it was so humiliating and it didn't just happen once. It happened repeatedly. And it, at the time it was not fun and kind of terrible, but then it mm -hmm. made me so hungry for the next season. And I've never been as motivated as I was that next time after coming off the, the back. Yes. Of I'll tell you, like I'm, I am now like in training and, and wanting to dial that nutrition and training and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm a little way more motivated than I was. And I'm looking forward to, to the next kind of the, I've got three big ones. I would say that I'm, I just, I, I'm not expecting to win them all, but 
I want to at least finish them. Yeah, <laughs> what are they? The resolve is there. What are the What are the three? So I've got um, Gravel Worlds 300, Oof. a little redemption, hopefully. And that's in August. And then, of course, the Atlas Mountain Race in early October. And then I'll go back to Chile in late November, early December, which is kind of be um, kind of a back to back for Atlas Mountain in Chile. But I think it'll be I'll have a good month and some change to recover. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really look, I'm looking forward to both of them because it because Atlas Mountain might be hot and and not rainy and Chile is going to be probably wet because hmm. we're going to be in the Patagonia region, the northern Patagonia region of the, the Lake District, Ooh. which is a lot of rain. Windy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oh, well, the wind is always something down in South America. That's that's it. That's par for the course. But um, I, I think it's going to be kind of a cool experience back to back. And the, the stories, I think that, um, you know, the, just the experiences that I'm going to get. Out, I feel really blessed to be able to to do it, you know. Cool. cool. So those are the three. Well, that's that's a that's a fresh angle. That's uh, yeah, like we're all kind of experiencing that. Like the road to Morocco is is not straight. And I think there's different ways. Yeah, totally not ways to get hungry about it too, right? Yeah, through setback, that can sometimes be even the biggest motivator, yeah. rather than something just going well. Yeah, yeah, maybe it would be a little more boring if it was smooth. It's fun sometimes, but yeah, um, David. <laughs> yeah. You're back there. I hear, I hear the voice. Uh, so, all right. Bring us up to speed on uh, Cocapelli and where you're at with uh, your headspace in, in, you know, three months out, uh, two months in, three months out. Yeah, I mean, Cocapelli was pretty awesome. More so for me, kind of hanging out and three days of bikepacking with some good individuals, right? That That's fun. I didn't see it as a redemption tour because when we didn't finish the official route in October, I felt like that was for life-saving choices. That was really smart because yeah. the LaSalle's were getting hammered. And I remember when we got back into town in October, there were people that had come down and had been shoveled up to the top of whatever, and they were just obliterated. So us sleeping up there would have been poor not to mention we got hit by <laughs> hail and a blizzard as as soon as we really left moab and drove back <laughs> towards denver so death was assured yeah. <laughs> so back to ashley's statement of you know things tell you when the right choices are right and the wrong choices are wrong in that scenario <laughs> um the biggest thing that steered us was our lack of preparation and what was our lack of preparation it was october desert you don't have that much water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we didn't scout that course at all the first time. Oh, at I least scouted I that didn't. course pretty well. I, I, I dispute that. I scouted that course pretty well, but I the probability of water was like 50-50, and I'm like, oh, it'll be okay. And it, it was not 50-50. Got it. I scouted <laughs> zero and skated on the backs of everybody else's work. And um, yeah, we, I, I mean, we all got equally humbled by that. Um, so, I mean, that led to Cocopelli round two, where we ended up having a trail angel called Travis. <laughs> yep. Who also rode with us. And somehow, I don't know, just magically, there were five full one gallon jugs of water right at the point when we needed it. And repeatedly. That. Yeah. 
Yeah, we, I mean, we made had, the difference. How many water? We had three water drops on that trip uh, that he dropped as he drove out to the start, and every one of them was meaningful and life saving. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we learned we learned a bit there. Yeah, I, I mean, good choices there with getting prepping with the water drops and then not having to pump, even though there was actually water in April. So big difference between April and October. The places where the water probability was lower before was very high. Um, mm. But we didn't have to pump, right? Like, which was really nice and saves a lot of time. And then Stephen made some good choices early on in that ride, even though one of our compatriots' hubs blew up. Even we pre-spoke it in the previous <laughs> podcast, right? We did. It was, we, it was foretold. We During the podcast, I had actually said, what if somebody's cassette or whatever blows up? Uh, you know, it could happen. Um, and I was referring to RJ, who in the Atlas Mountain Race had his his cassette break apart and, and teeth sheared off of it. And then he went to like the local blacksmith and had it re-welded, I think more than once, if I remember correctly. So he didn't give up. And then he, he like walked for two days or some, you know, so I was just referring to that, but I said, you know, you know our wheels could fall apart or whatever. And then we start Cook Belly and 35 miles in the, basically the Pauls in Brian's hub, uh, sort of just chewed themselves to death and the real backstory is that that was my morocco bike that i had lent him uh and it was my wheel uh, that i had not maintained and i sabotaged brian's cocapelli trip by giving him really (laughs) worn out gear uh so you know there's so many interesting things about that trip though because we thought we were going back to cocapelli and we were just going to shred it uh, cause we knew what we were getting into and we knew where to push and where to hold back. And we knew, you know, it's just like, we were like, this is going to be super fun. We'll get to camp at like five and we'll just lounge. And, uh, it wasn't any easier. This, we got to camp way later the second time. Yeah. Uh, and, and went way slower the second time. Just things went poorly the second time. Uh, we didn't just learn from everything and then just polish that thing off it wasn't a victory lap no no we struggled for every mile uh the second time and and then we had that massive mechanical so he had to bail and i felt terrible i had a lot of guilt just that i gave him my lame bike uh but he got picked up uh and we forged on um and then we yeah we had to make some difficult decisions about whether or not to call it a night early or to try and push on and not lose ground for the next day but uh i think we all Every time you go bikepacking or bikepack racing, you learn another thing yeah. about like, oh, right. So you're just tuning this algorithm nonstop forever. The minute you think you're good at it, uh, which it's a little premature to think that I'm good at it because I've only really done it about five times now. But I, I feel like I get it. Uh, but I didn't. The, I didn't. the formula is relatively simple yeah but there's still a lot to fine tune yeah there's a a lot that can go wrong and slow you down so uh i think that that was i don't know david uh i don't want to monologue i'm gonna you know i want to hear like what were you thinking you know late on day one when we should have been at camp and the sun is going down and we had another 30 miles to cover and we were making very low mile per hour progress um, I mean, you were there. I was I was the one advocating for, okay, Westwater has easy source of water. Let's stop there. It's going to be smart and safe and convenient, right? Like, it's the easy. And you're like, no, remember how hard day two is. That is the worst choice we could possibly make. We need to push. And it was dark, and it was, I mean, legit dark. 
Like, how many of us had lights on the recharge dynamo? One? <laughs> Not enough. Yeah. We, we, we had one dynamo hub and the rest of us with headlamps, and it was like, okay, here we go, because we were not planning on riding through the night, night adventures, and I think that was a good three hours of night riding, something like that. Yeah. Wow. Which is, you know, I, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about two things. If we end early on day one, then we have to make it up on day two. And we knew from the last time that on day two, it was going to be a very taxing day. Uh, and to, to add 20 miles to an already taxing day seemed completely overwhelming to me. And then as we're all... So that was one thought. And the other thought was, we're all getting ready for Morocco here. Nobody's injured, uh, out of food, uh, in a bad mechanical situation. We're really just talking about we need to keep riding at night to make our goals, which will be absolutely every single day in Morocco when you're actually doing a race. You don't stop when the sun goes down. And I thought, we ought to be just disciplining ourselves to push, push, push until you get to the objective. Um, and, and there's really no true adversity in riding at night, uh, unless you just, you know, sort of don't like it, but like it was, there was every reason to keep going. And I think I just thought, I don't know, I'm not responsible for everybody going to Morocco, but I, I at least inception the idea a little bit. And I thought if this, if these are my people going, then we all owe it to ourselves to push into the night and to see how we respond to that. Uh, and then everyone did great. Everyone did super well. I mean, it was the right call, right? Like, and from an experience standpoint, you know, just doing it um, was a good thing. And that translated into Nick and I riding through the night, starting and leaving at 8 p.m. all the way through with different lighting setup. But, right. you know, the, the fact of the matter is riding through the night there in Cocopelli was a good experience. You know, obviously just being with friends, positive, good experience, um, you know, finishing it the right route and, you know, weather and all those things working out pretty fantastic experience and so all in coca has been great or was you know was great was an empowering experience uh as you're as you're getting ready like you feel more confident after you finish that one that all right i've got another chip in the thing for for getting through morocco so i think david that was an interesting point too of without realizing it at in the moment pushing later on day one set the foundation of uh, what, maybe like a month and a half later, uh, to ride through the night, um, from, from Denver in a very circuitous fashion to Breck and then hopefully back to Denver. We're, we're going to hear about that trip from you guys next. Yeah. But I think as it relates to getting ready for what this race in particular, as we sit down and look at the route, uh, which thankfully we can do cause I've done it. Uh, we, that you we will know where we need to get to and you have to make really critical calculations about where to stop every night and when to start every morning because you know if you get to a city at 5 a.m in morocco you can't resupply at 5 a.m you have Mm -hmm. to you have to get through your cities and your towns and your villages uh you know at like 9 a.m and you gotta and then if you get there later than let's i don't know exactly what the time is let's just say six or seven, whatever it is, then stores will start closing. So you have these little windows where you need to plan your rest and you need to plan to make a certain amount of progress. And then you have a window to refuel. And if you miss it, you might pass this, you might choose to pass the town or the village and go for the next one. But what, you know, you need to think about running out of supplies or are you going to sit there, which I did one day, uh, for an hour 
waiting for the little town to open up. I actually had to go 10, 10 miles, I don't know what that is in kilometers, um, off course to a little village because the one that I arrived to at daybreak didn't have any it didn't have any shops open and I knew that for the rest of that day until the late afternoon I wouldn't have any food or water resupplies and it was going through a really deserty part of the course so I I was a kind of at a disadvantage because I was I wasn't really planning where do I need to get uh, and when do I need to get there and, and you know it's a tiny lesson to learn in at Cocapelli but when we look at Morocco it's going to be super critical to pacing yourself and knowing when to you know, pull out the bivy and sleep and when to get up at two hours earlier or, you know, all that type of stuff will matter. Well, I mean, that even mattered in the little Breckenridge thing for the two of you, right? Think about how much that impacted even a one day, 200 plus mile thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we missed the first, uh, that's another ride we've done. We can talk about it a little bit, but we, we got to the first, uh, Decker store on that ride about 35 minutes before it opened and we couldn't get a cup of coffee and any supplies there. So we pushed on to the, the next store that was probably, I don't know, 60 miles away. Uh, and when we got to that one, that clo- store wasn't open on Mondays and Tuesdays, uh, period. Uh, so by missing those two stores, it put us in a lot of you know, potential jeopardy. Um, mental despair. <laughs> mental, absolute <laughs> emotional agony. When you, when you think there's a burger. Man, it's so interesting how like the you know part of this, especially when you're racing, every single little bitty decision that you make, it's like a snowball effect. You know, yeah. that decision can affect something later on, or um, you know, <laughs> you decide to stop for a little bit longer, and then that time adds up. Or you know, I mean, it's just that's just the way of it. It's kind of the beauty of it too. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you just I mean, Arkansas was a great example when I made them just. Dis- decision not to eat enough one day and I paid for it the next day I was exhausted nauseous and I fell off my pace you know <laughs> like just a couple of little things that I could have changed but that's it that's that's bike packing yeah especially the races yeah um so should we talk about the Breck rides I think we should because they're interesting they they include some failure and and some resolve and some success uh, yeah. at the end of it uh so yeah the, what was the first go nick the very first attempt uh have we ever spoken publicly about this right? this has never been <laughs> talked about in a public forum <laughs> gather around children um yeah no so the first time steven and i i think steven you put together this route and it was I think when sheldon we, did or sheldon put it together okay uh and it was Denver to Breck, back to Denver. And this was last summer. I think it was about June 18th, 2020. And we were just kind of in the full swing. We love bikepacking. Let's do this more. Um, You know, let's just sink our teeth into something. Get more, you know, it just seems fun. This is, let's keep doing it. So I think the route went um, from Waterton, CT1 to CT2. Um, which for people who don't know is a, a gravel road that turns into many, many, many miles of technical single track bike packing on our drop our bikes Yep. in the heat of summer. Yep. And then, then you, it's, then there's a lot of climbing in there as well. Um, and by the time you hit the second section, it's uh, when we decided to leave at that point, it was 
well into the hottest part of the day and it was super super exposed um and so i think that was probably the the opening kind of salvo so to speak of this is something this route was going to elude us for over a year uh without realizing it right yeah so we had huge setbacks on that first ride first attempt we lost sheldon to heat stroke yeah arrived at camp very late the first night yep uh, just exhausted it was way more than we thought we were biting off uh, I think that was when we started to learn the formula of 50 miles while bike packing is a yeah. really big distance to cover, especially when it includes single track. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think our, our mental state watching that and even discussing it with you, I didn't go with you guys, but there was talks of it and it was like, Oh, we'll get this far by this many hours. It's going to be a cakewalk. Like, we, this yeah. will be great. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we had a really, uh, you know, I think we were, we had a clock, you know, we had a mental clock of where we would like to be um, and when we'd like to finish. And so, yeah, we had to, we, we left Sheldon because of heat stroke and it kind of felt, you know, it's never fun to have the fellowship break up. Um, and then Stephen and I had the resolve to carry on and uh, we had a, a great morning the next day. Uh, and we've, have now done this sawtooth matukot section um a couple times now and, and that was the first time and it was just it was kind of mind-numbing how long that section was to then you know we finished it and we were like wow like this is amazing we're on a paved road we're gonna make up all this time and then the paved road was almost just as much of a slog as the dirt it's a false flat uphill for 30 miles with, he- with brutal headwinds uh, yeah for for the better part of the rest of the day put us way behind schedule again which stressed us out but we had a high moment as we rolled into stage stop which is uh we had probably the the slowest probably world records for the slowest hamburger ever being made yeah. it's under new ownership now it's worth it so i can say that but it did allow <laughs> it did allow for the famous rocky mountain thunderstorms to roll in over the over the high peaks that we were intending to go over uh, on the next section. Yeah, this is where I don't know where our decision-making... wasn't good decision It wasn't good, even after food. Um, and I, I think what the most amazing part was actually that we had like a... I won't, I won't call uh, David and company, like they weren't armchair quarterbacking, but they were actually probably like... Live commentary. There was live commentary of like they were oh, following... Oh, there was totally live commentary texting through the night because we were yeah, worried. They were tracking us and commenting via text message on our progress heckling us as we struggled that day uh as friends do supportive friends and uh yeah i think i think I mean, there was statements of we hope you don't die ha 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 yeah right? and you guys aren't and really then, going up there here's a screen grab of the radar um but we did but we and did then, and then there was later on the david book us a hotel because we're trying to make it down and we're afraid we're gonna die yeah but that's getting ahead of things yeah so uh, we so we left stage stop in really good spirits full full bellies um but it was raining at that point so we put on everything we had which admittedly for me was not a lot i was not prepared for high alpine rain you had little wool mittens or knitted mittens knitted mittens that was it that was it i did not have leg warmers i think you had a spare pair i did i had oddly enough two pairs of pants yeah. uh rain gloves and you know down puff 
rain jacket. I was coming off of AMR. I was just a little, you know, bike bike packer, yeah. uh, like just overpacked. And I I was not <laughs> so we, <laughs> underprepared. So we connected with Colorado Trail uh, and and went up over. You know, the route was to go up over Georgia Pass and then go up over Mount Guyot again, which is like a double summit over I don't know eleven or twelve thousand feet. Two of those. Uh, and then down into Breck, uh, where we would get a hotel. We weren't going to camp. Um, sorry, we're not that hardcore sometimes. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, but the, the clouds were building, but they seemed like maybe it was fine, and we weren't really going to be up that high that long, and we could just get over the top, we were going to be in the trees. So we, And honestly, there wasn't really a much of an area to fall back to in terms of what are we going to do if we have to turn around. So we were just a little stubborn and stupid about we're going to get to Breck. So we went up into the storm, which is not a good idea, and we do not advise, and nobody should ever do that. But we did it, and as we climbed, the snow began to fall. I think it started to turn into hail on, yeah. on that Colorado Trail section up to Georgia Pass. Yeah. Corn snow and hail yeah, uh, and fog, and then thunder, then thunder snow and lightning uh, as we got above tree line. Uh, and then you're just scared. Um mm. And then we said we cannot double summit and go over Mount Guyot. We have to peel off and take one of these mining roads back down into Breck and get off this mountain. Because when you're next to thunder, that is the scariest, the scariest feeling in the world. Um, aside from feeling just as stupid as I felt for even being up there. So we, but the problem was we had a pre-programmed course in the in the GPS, and once we turned that off and just went to map mode, we thought we could find a map down. But just the way that these devices work, some of them, and take note, like when you zoom out, the trail density gets smaller. So it only shows you like the really major stuff as you zoom out. So if you can see a trail on your screen, then you zoom out and the trail you're on disappears and you're just floating on a white screen. That isn't very helpful to all you UX designers out there. So we were kind of following signs, but still going up, up because we hadn't even made the pass. So we, we didn't really have a dot to fall, um, a line to follow. And, and this conditions were deteriorating. We're hiking through snow at this point because wow. the snow hadn't melted yet. Uh, and it's, it's sideways, snow and wind. And yes, lightning occasionally. Uh, and then we, we get to this, turn off where the trails forked and i thought it's right to breck and left back down to fair play and i was like i think this is it nick and you were like yeah i don't really i don't really want to go that way let's stick to the major trail so we didn't go that way later figured out that if we had taken that trail it did not go down to breck it was the continental divide hiking trail and it would have taken us towards webster pass no way down probably oh, i mean not like certain death but like we wouldn't have gotten down disaster. we wouldn't have gotten yeah. down um I, I should also say like once we got to the summit we started to kind of we we were trying to route down so obviously you stop riding so you stop losing body heat and so one of the things we did which was really painful at the time was like peel off your rain jacket dig out your puffy jacket put that on for insulative warmth put your rain jacket back on yeah yeah, we layered up. And then Nick didn't have gloves, so... <laughs> uh, I think I bought a giant bag of Fritos, and you bought a giant bag of Fritos. And we just opened them up right there and dumped them out on the side of the trail. I hope they fed a marmot, but they became yeah, emergency blanket gloves. Yeah, for your hands. Um, 
And we were panicking both collectively at this point. As we continued to march up the ridge on the trail, more and more into the snow and really still unclear. We, I think I had it in my head that we were looking for something that didn't exist, this magical road where we just turn right and go down to Breck. And, uh, and we didn't really know what else to do, and we were both looking at each other panicking, like, but not panicking because we knew we couldn't lose it on each other, so we were trying to hold it together, like, I'm fine, are you fine, I'm fine, but we weren't fine. We're very scared. Um, and I finally. Meanwhile, we're dot watching. And like, where the hell are these? You're guys? sending us text that messages. Was probably midnight. So we we finally used the G. And the way we got home was we used the GPS route to home function. I just literally clicked take me home. And it, <laughs> it drew a line back the way we came. And I realized as it did that, that we were 180 degrees disoriented on the top of this mountain. And that I thought we needed to go right down the mountain. We really needed to go left down the mountain. And we had also missed Georgia Pass entirely, went right by it and didn't even see it that we were there and had gone further up the mountain than, I don't even know where that went. Um, So... We did find our way down to Georgia Pass, and then we're like, great, now we just take this mining road down, and it was guiding us down now. So we follow this mining road, which was better than a trail. We're still in snow, so we still had to get still off and walk. shivering on and the descent. cold. And, it, and then the, it started sort of turning to sleet and rain the lower we got, and we get down, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 vertical feet down the mountain, back into the trees, and it's cold, but we're like on a road, and then... It, the road just ends in nothing, like an old miner's cabin. A miner's cabin and just a out. wall of yeah, a, cliffs. A thousand feet of cliffs above us that we could see, and thunder, and rain. And at this point, it's it's dark. It's just it's just become dark now. And we just thought, I don't know why we're telling the story in such detail, but should we go back up the mountain into the blizzard? And not know how to get down again. And pick a different road down from the and, summit. Yeah, because there were multiple roads down from the summit. Or what? And I just said, look, we know Breck is down this mountain. I think we should just bushwhack down the mountain. Uh, no trail. And I think you saw a stream on the map. Yeah, I saw a stream. And so we decided. Water runs downhill. Yeah, we just decided <laughs> we're going to take the fall line of the mountain all the way down to Breck. And we'll get there someday. And then, of course, it got dark, and it, it funneled us. We kind of not got cliffed out, but the terrain basically funneled us into what was a small raging creek river, and we hiked down the riverbed itself because it was the only thing not choked up with fallen trees. And we hiked down this river for an hour, found a trail, uh, and uh, just guessed, uh, should we go right or left? We went left. Uh, that's when my dynamo wire ripped out of my hub. So, uh, there's a whole other lesson of taking care of your dyno at that point. Uh, my headlight goes out. Um, and we, we struggled our way down this mountain, totally hypothermic, freezing, shivering. And we did eventually, I mean, long story long, we did eventually make it all the way down this mountain into Breck and we, we crossed the highway and we saw a luxury hotel, like this four star luxury hotel lit from within and we just we just bombed through the highway straight into the lobby and just created this huge mud puddle in the lobby and we're like we're desperate for like please help us and they they let us stay and have a room and um we didn't we didn't die but that was 
<laughs> but I, you destroyed that room. We destroyed <laughs> the room. Yeah, everything was. They were very kind. Thank you. I, Thank you, kind hotel. I think one of the funny parts of the story, too, was that both our spouses probably had too much of a level of confidence of what we were capable of (laughs) that neither of them had any idea the situation we were in. I called my wife and I was like, you can call off search and rescue. We're fine. (laughs) Everything's okay. I know it's midnight, but we just made it to the hotel. So just calm down. And, And she was just like, well, what's wrong? Like, we're, you know, like we're all just sitting on the couch watching a movie, and I was like, "We almost died." Um, and then but your cycling, your cycling wife, on the other hand, was like relieved beyond belief yeah. when you guys showed up. Wait, is that is that referring to you, David? Are you oh, the cycling? David was rightfully worried. Yeah. David is my cycling <laughs> wife. Uh, yeah, he he cared and uh, had arranged the hotel. Had arranged the ho- anyway uh, because of that night. We were too wrecked the following day to start early, uh, ran out yeah. of time for a Father's Day engagement, and did not complete the Breck loop. So the ride went down as a, basically a slow-motion nosedive into failure. We just It started good and got worse until we gave up and got picked up. Um, and that was, you know, that was the Breck Superloop version one. Then, then you and David tried to do it. Uh, in a day. Yeah, version two, learning from your version one, we started at 8 p.m. the day before because, like, we're not getting. No you know, we bike know packing. how hard and long this thing's going to be, yeah. right? And you were speed packing the route. Yeah. Uh, we shaved off a lot of weight on gear. No stoves, no tents, no bivvies. It's a 245 mile route, and you guys just went for it in a day um, and got quite far and did well but you rode through the night the first night so you started at 8 p.m uh, you rode through the night uh no sleep uh you got to the pass in time you made it up over uh, boreas instead of georgia pass made it through breck uh and then what you know the weather again uh, i mean for me that ride was a learning from a dark place standpoint you know you mentioned your breck ride that you were like hey I'm never going to do AMR again. This is horrible. I hate this. This is so hard. And at the middle of the night, I don't know, Nikki and I were talking for me. It felt like for me at 3 a.m. was probably the hardest, 2 or 3 a.m. It's a hard time. Yeah. And, and my scenario at that time was like, oh, my God, this is hard. And we were coming up Stony Pass and it's thick gravel and whatever else. But both of us were just like, all we have to do is make it until the sun rises. <laughs> yeah. Um so it's just the route, the route kind of smote smote us twice, smote you guys. You know, it was it was zero for two on that route. And all keeping in mind that you know Cocopelli and this uh, and in Ashley's races, they're all supposed to be these sort of positive trajectories where we gain <laughs> confidence and and practice towards you know Morocco being you know we'll just get there and we're veterans uh, and everything's going to be great. Um, and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think in hindsight, you know, the second attempt at at the Denver Breck Denver, especially transitioning it from a, you know, multi-day bike pack to to a single day ultra. um, Yeah, I mean, I I think it was, there's a lot of new challenges, but I think for me, the building block of riding through the night just to prove that that's possible um, I mean, I guess in some ways it wasn't possible. I literally at one point couldn't keep my eyes open 
um, and was nodding off on a pavement section and I took a, a power nap and I felt fine. But like just that, that experience of, okay, like I know, I hope I don't have to ride all the way through the night at AMR. Like I'd rather just, you know, stop, uh, and sleep for even, you know, a couple hours, but I can prove that I can do it now. So even if like the, you know, the ultimate goal of that route wasn't, you know, met by completing it. Like, I think there was a lot of valuable things learned along the way. Yeah. I think anytime there's failures, you're always going to come off with something good, at least. I mean, to, you know, to err is to be human. Right. So, I mean, no matter what we do, we're going to have some failures in there too. And I mean, now I'm, instead of being like, man, I'm going to go win these things, hopefully, you know, now I'm like, and I hope I go finish these things, you know, which is just, <laughs> um, is very humbling. And, and, uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think that's, I think that's good to, to just, to realize that we're going to make these mistakes and sometimes our bodies are going to be on and sometimes they're not, or sometimes our brain's going to be there and sometimes it's not. And, or the uh, weather uh, or the, yes. Sometimes the weather is going to be for you and sometimes it's going to be against you. Yeah. I mean, my first year in Chile was so hot. I mean, I thought I was going to, I was like heat stroke half of the time, oh, man. you know, and I just, all the pictures you see, my jersey's completely unzipped, you know, I'm pouring water on myself. And I mean, it just, you just never know what, what's going to come, what's going to be. So I, I think it's, I think it's good that we're out there learning and trying and failing. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I asked Jake because we we were just uh, talking with him, recording about Tour Divide, and just asked, "Are we really even racing anybody else, or are we just racing ourselves in the the course?" Mm. Um, and I I think I asked that because that's what I think, and I wanted to know if he agreed or not. And um, I think in his case, it turned into a race against another person as time went on, but so much of the time you're really probably only racing yourself in the course. And, you know, he was talking about your body is capable of, of probably so much more than your mind will let it do. You're really racing your mind in a lot of the ways. Yep. And, you know, unless you have yep. some catastrophic thing that goes wrong with your body. But, um, I think that's been an interesting component of these, these, you know, successes and setbacks that we had. Like when we were in Cocopelli deciding whether or not to ride into the night, that was just a mental thing. There was really no logistical mm. reason not to keep going. It was just, a, ah, that sounds uncomfortable, and I really want to be at camp now, and we could be heating our dinners up and just talking and, and you know, laughing our way into the night, or we could be slogging into the night, and that's just a mental, I don't want to do it. It just seems really unpleasant. Or, you know, you deciding with David, you know, you, you guys started at 8 p.m. on your attempt, and then a thunderstorm happened and you push pause and duct for cover for two hours. Like just the mental ability to start a ride, get stopped by a thunderstorm and then start again at 11 PM and ride all night. Uh, and then into the next day, into the next evening without stopping. That's just super mental. Um, and probably the biggest dragon we have to slay out there is the mental dragon. Um, I think I think the whole thing's mental, and the biggest learning I took away from that ride wasn't even the fact of riding through the night or making the choice early on of, of ducking from the rain and thunderstorms. Like all those were smart. It's leading into it. I I found that ride difficult to finish, not only because I was scared and nervous about hypothermia coming over Loveland Pass, but I didn't prep myself from a mental game going in, saying, "Hey, 
this is a day and a time and a thing when I can do that ride. And so all of a sudden, because it is so mental, I mean, that's basically what we're talking about here is like these rides are more mental than physical. And I was not going into that Breck ride in the most optimal mental position. And so as we take, at least for me, take this whole thing back and go, okay, in order to do these big things, when you're talking about a single day, 250 mile effort or a multi-day, 450 mile effort and some of Ashley's or whatever it is, it's like leading up to this and the day of and going in, it's all about mental state more than anything. It's entirely about mental state. And so I think that's carries nicely into how you and Nick approached Breck, at least for Nick phase three. And for you, I think Steven, it was trial two, right? Like you guys took a completely different mental approach on it. Yeah, so we, we've we come back, we came back on Monday. So Monday was the longest day of the year, summer solstice. And I came back from Unbound, similarly disappointed that it just didn't go well, considering how much I had prepared for it. Uh, I, I made it to the finish, but like under less than ideal circumstances. And Ashley saw me as sort of hollowed out and dysfunctional as I have ever been. Uh, publicly, just sitting in a chair, staring at the ground, unable to really, truly, genuinely unable to speak. I just could not talk. Uh, people were trying to feed <laughs> yeah. me and ask me questions, and I just couldn't even talk. Uh, so dejected and, and wrecked. And so that that was my unbound experience. And then I really just wanted like a good experience uh, where we do something and it's fun and big and it goes well. So we started looking at that loop, this, this Breck loop a third time and found this day, longest day of the year. What better way to, to do the longest day of the year than to do the longest ride I'd ever done in a day. Um, so we, we put it on the calendar. I, I, I think the interesting thing here is uh, like, as soon as we put it on the calendar, I got scared um, and because these things are all very fun to talk about in the abstract. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to Morocco. I'm going to Unbound. I'm going to this and that. But then when it finally hits you that you really actually have to do the thing, um, for me, that gets heavy. Um, and I know that's not universal. Like, having talked to Jay, I don't actually think he experiences that. And Ashley, I haven't really picked up any clues that you feel heavy as you ramp into these things maybe you do um but but it seems like maybe unique to me and some other people where you just kind of feel overwhelmed about you just know how hard the thing that you're about to go do is going to be and it it kind of gets it gets to me um so that no i get that way you do okay all right okay it gets like this i get kind of quiet heavy i feel this I know what I'm about to do is going to really hurt my body, but yet I'm going to kind of love it at the same time, which is so crazy. Yeah. And um, no, I, that, no I, I, I relate to that completely. So, so we decided not to start at 11 p.m. and ride through the night. And I, on the third attempt, because I actually don't do well riding at night at all. It really just hollows me out and I get sad and honestly depressed. Uh, by the whole thing. So I told Nick, like, look, I can get up super early. I can get up at three and start, but I need like sunrise to be imminent uh, when I start this ride. Otherwise it's just overwhelming. So he, he allowed me that indulgence. He was game to go again at 11 PM and just like ride through the night. So Nick has opposite reaction. Nick's like, I did the thing. It was hard and I'm pumped at how well that went. 
and and like that was a positive experience for him whereas i'm like scared of that so we we did it we started we made great time uh and we had i would say a good smooth day of bike riding we did miss those stores and that really messed with us uh and it was interesting to kind of adapt to you will not be eating a burger and fries (laughs) you will be eating another revolting uh you know sports gummy uh, and drinking more revolting, you know, electrolyte water for four more hours. And that's just going to be how it is. So it's interesting when you have to shift down mentally into low and you're like, just put it in low and we'll get over this thing again. Um, we did get kind of rescued and, and got some good food before we went over Boreas Pass this time. Uh, and the interesting thing about that day was it really did go well. Uh, and we made it into Breck. Uh, in high spirits and and stopped for I guess dinner and then the final two climbs were Loveland Pass which is a 12,000 foot pass Uh, and then we had another climb called Little Bear which was our final up to Squaw Pass at the end of the day and that's where I really started going downhill Um, just the enormity of one more pass Uh, and then as we get over that pass the sun starts going down and I'm like oh shoot here here comes kryptonite Uh, and my morale just went into the tanks uh and as we climbed the not very this is a seven mile climb it's not, it's not the longest climb in the world but little bear the final climb of the day i'm like actively thinking about how to cancel my morocco airline ticket uh no. and, and how to break it to every because no. i was like i was just like i'm just being honest like yeah this is so difficult for me right now and everything in my mind is telling me don't do something like this again. You don't have to do stuff like this. Why did you know? Don't sign up. You just remember what you're feeling right now and don't repeat it. Uh, and and I, I was very resolved in that moment to like, yeah, don't put yourself in this position again. Uh, so it it kind of took a lot out of me. And in the days that were, you know, that was last week. The following that, I really did feel like a lot of wind went out of my sails, and I was questioning why do I even want to go back and do. Morocco again because I know I know exactly how hard that course is and I just think about all those climbs and things that I'm going to have to get up and over again and I think can I really even do that um and the answer is yes and I think that fades like all that pain and emotional stuff fades away and you get excited again about this is going to be a grand adventure um so I I I feel like though that that did kind of shake me up a little bit even though we made it we made it to 200, 250 miles, I don't know what it was, and 20,000 feet of climbing, and we banged it out in like 17 hours of ride time. Um, and that, so that was an achievement, but it left me a little lower than when I went in. So it didn't make me feel more confident, and I think that that's okay to admit. That made me, I, but I think it made Nick more confident. <laughs> Nick came out of that, and now he's got two of these under his belt where he's like... I can ride through the night and I can survive a ride that long. And I feel like Nick and I crossed in the in two ships passing in the night. And he's like mentally way ahead of me now, go, you know, as we go towards Morocco full of stoke and, and newfound self-confidence that he can do this stuff. And I'm more like questioning, how am I going to, how am I going to trick myself into doing that again? So I'm trying to find a new mental angle and a new mental strategy for Morocco where I don't just have the same experience. I need a, like a really strong motivation for what can I do differently to make the experience fresh and novel. So that's, that's kind of where it left me. Um, mm. So, you know, we've done so much bike riding 
already this year. I'm, I'm, I'm many thousands of miles uh, in front of my yearly goal, which is weird. I didn't expect to be here. Um, but I feel like now I need to go down and do a little recovery dip where I, I take a week off a bike and just rest my mind uh, and then restart and think about, all right, I have a two or three month build back into the mind space and the body that needs to go to Morocco again. So that's really, really wise. I think, um, you know, just if you don't rest, it, it, it almost becomes stale. If you train too much and you just keep going, 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 and you find yourself not wanting to get on the bike, it's probably time to take a break, you know, yeah. and you won't do good if you, if you're constantly pushing yourself, like you have to, you have to rest. So I think that that's a really, actually, I think you're in a really good mindset. Yeah, well, thanks. I hope. Uh, I want to discover how it is t- to have a good time riding at night or through the night. That's something on my mental list because apparently it's possible. As, you know, mm, Ant- I love riding through the night. See, oh, my you gosh. Do? Yeah, and mm-hmm. Anton mm-hmm. said like at Unbound, he did um, Unbound XL, and what he was saying about it was just the night was the most sublime, amazing mm-hmm. part of the whole experience. And yep. I don't know, Nick, what did you think about riding all night? I I enjoyed it. Um, I think there was a there's there's a whole other side of the world that you like almost don't get to appreciate yes. because you're usually tucked into a warm, cozy bed and you're <laughs> yeah. sleeping. And and so it's I think for me it, it it was really surprising. You know that there is actually a lot of wildlife out there. There was a lot of birds chirping right as the sun starts to come up. There's um, I don't know. It just like it felt like such a fresh, different perspective. And I think part of I have a, now I'm maybe I haven't been building an underlying worry that I'm too naive about all of this. Cause I know Steven that you've had a lot of adventure racing and then you know how hard the course is. And I'm, I definitely agree with your assessment of like, I'm really uh, fired up and I feel like I took a lot away from those rides. Um, and so I would hope that, you know, where I'm going with that thought is that the, that the allure of the night riding, you know, that very peaceful, like, yes, I could be very comfortable and warm in a bed right now, but I'm not, doesn't fade. I don't think it will. So, no, I, okay. So the Virginia race was a great example where I, I was basically kind of moved through the night and just take a cat nap if I could, because I wanted to break that two days. And I remember, you know, sometimes I'll ride with headphones and sometimes I won't, but at night I, I typically turn off the music and I'm just riding and I listen and smell like the smells are different. The noises, um, there were these frogs just chirping all around me and it had this really fresh smell. It was just this really sublime experience. Like night is, is it's almost special. Like you're out there, you know, it's, it's unnatural, but you're out there and you're, you're on your bike and you hear the cogs move, or, you know, the, I don't know the bike noises that it's, you're going to love. I just, I love it. <laughs> I just love riding awesome. the bike. Yeah. Yeah. So I just have to find that because clearly other You'll people find, find that. People find that. David, did you like You'll... writing at night? I mean, it was hard, right? I think there was, for me, again, there were a lot of things going on that ride that made it more challenging. Play again, the bright mental state leading up to it. Yeah. Generally speaking, I enjoyed the night riding. I was a little nervous and scared, right? Because it's just something new. Yeah. Uh, after it was done, the morning and the sounds and that dawn time was pretty special. 
I'm 100 with you. I'm 100% on Dawn. Dawn is like euphoria. When you ride oh, through the night and you make it through the night and you start to see the signs of the sun coming up, there could be no better time to ride a bike than that. It's day. true. Although I'm going to say, like, if you are riding through the night, those hours between like three and five, that's the hardest time. Okay. That's yeah. when you're going to crash. Just prepare, mentally prepare yourself because it gets, it's the coldest time. It's like, the, it's, you know, the dark before the sunlight type experience. And that's when I always mentally will start to kind of struggle is between three and five. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the course demands uh, when we're there. You know, I was doing like four or five hours a night when I did it. Um, So, you know, it was like 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. or midnight to five. But um I mean, I would hope that I could just do like three or four hours of sleep instead of five or six and just try and improve. Ashley, how much do you like to, I mean, on a five, you know, five day, four day, yeah. six day race. So when I, when I, my first ultra, the Colorado trial race, I slept, I slept like six plus hours a night. It was great. <laughs> and then in Chile, I realized, you know, I could probably do less than that. Um, four is kind of my, the money spot for me. If I get, if I get four in, I'm, I'm pretty good to go for day after day after day. If I start to do less than that, um, my body starts to, my, I, I start to slow down hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. And I, you know, that's personal. I like talking with a lot of other ultra riders, everybody has kind of a different number for them. So you, you have to, I guess, kind of figure that out on your own. One of the crazy things about stopping in a race at night is when you can hear other riders riding by you and it absolutely just messes with you because you just have all this Holy. doubt, the doubt about why can they, why are they still going and how far are they going? Did they just start again or are they going to stop soon? Yep. Are they going through? Why am I so weak? Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you in Colorado Charis, that was a really great example. Elizabeth Sampi and I were just flip-flopping the whole time and she passed me every night and cause she was going through the night and then she was like, how in the world is this girl catching me during the day? Mm. And I think it was because I was more rested and the Colorado trail races. I mean, that's a brutal course. Like yeah. you're going to have to sleep. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I, I mean, she would pass me every night and I'd go to bed with the feeling like, all right, now I have a rabbit to ca- catch. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's the way you can think of it. Different, different strategies. Yeah. I, one night at uh, MRI, was like, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. And I I don't I haven't looked at the playback, but I know that I passed Jay and James that night, who of course wow. went off to be second and third. Uh and and like what I didn't know is that they were stopping to sleep early so that, you know, they could space out their villages and their towns and their resupplies better. And they also took the opportunity to stay in a better place to sleep than just on the side of the the trail. And mm-hmm. I, it just blew my mind later to find out that, like, wait a minute, they stopped before they had to to do mm-hmm. it where it was better. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. like more optimal sleep. And of course, they immediately passed me and I never saw them again. Um, so it's not like I gained an advantage, but it was weird to think that that the the leaders can be that nuanced with when and where to sleep. It's not like you automatically just ride till 2 a.m., you might but stop at 11. But your dot watchers thought you were in the lead then. And we were like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. just passed Jay. It's an amazing 15 minutes of glory. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I wasn't aware of it. I didn't know. I think my wife may have texted me that I had passed Jay. And I was like, no, I didn't. Um, 
like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I didn't look at any dots during that race, but, uh, yeah, it, it happened and it was gone, but, but they played it so much smarter. So it, I just learned a little morsel of like, there's, there are so many dimensions to, to knowing when and where and how long. So well, cool. Uh, all right. So we got to wrap up, but what what are what are the next steps of let's just say the next month? What does it look like for people? Uh, I'm gonna do a little slowdown before I start thinking about building back up. That's my next month or so. I'm gonna enjoy bikes. I'm gonna do the camp out thing in July, uh, and that's that's gonna put me in a, a mental reset. Ashley, um, I am going to. Well, I just got off of putting my own event on, so I'm kind of at a little little bit of a slowdown myself right now, but I will be racing um, the Crusher and the Tusher, which is just a, just a training race for me, <laughs> 70 miles only. Um, and kind of reevaluate a couple of things, whether I'm going to do a couple other shorter races or not. Uh, cool. Just kind of listen to my body. That's kind of where I'm at. And maybe you'll come to the camp out. Yeah. I kind of would rather do that than one of the races. Cause I think, um, you know, like I said, you can just really overdo yourself and then you don't want to ride as much and, and I, I kind of think I might need some fun. Yeah. So that sounds good to me, especially after my two failures. <laughs> well, the, the camp out can only be a success. There's no other. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Can't fail when there's s'mores. We can break the streak with the camp out and then. I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> David, what are you doing? What's your. I mean, there's, a, there's some things I want to do, but all the events are sold out. It's funny. I'm probably, I'm pretty fit right now, I feel like. Yeah. Maybe you know, what, maybe whatever, I feel fit. Um, and so typically in years past, this is when I would do mountain bike races, but I can't get into any of them. <laughs> so can you not get into the silver rush to try and get into the Leadville? Silver rush is on a, on a waiting list, which is crazy. <sighs> Secrets out. And then last year when I did the, when the COVID hit the Leadville 100, you know, I didn't sign up for the following year fast enough. So they kicked my registration to 2022 and it's like, I've got a consistent eight in a row, I think, maybe a seven in a row. I don't know. I have like every single year. So I'm so close to that 10-year belt buckle. Mm. But I'm going to keep at it. Like I have more time on the bike than I've had at this point. And, you know, I do feel like I want to continue to build up so I can be on a, a close level to the two of you. Um, and I, I know it all changes and a lot of it's mental and whatever, but I want to continue to build it up. So. Uh, and then me, I let's, I don't know. I've had probably the biggest week I've ever had on a bike, um, beyond just early college days of, of touring. Um, so I don't want to overdo it. I'm trying to be cognizant of that. Um, uh, so probably, if, if you're having fun, I think you should run with that too. Yeah. Go smash another 400 mile week because it's fun that's not a bad reason i can't do that this week i, okay, I think right. the body would protest but maybe next week next week all right yeah, yeah. yeah. uh no are so you joining peter and myself then is that what i heard <laughs> there is a there is a rumor that there is another denver breck denver attempt um one thing on the denver breck denver attempt i do want to solidify the start and finish spot so we can actually turn this into a contestable route we're on it we got that for you we'll post it yeah 
Um, so yeah, you know, there's kind of just a handful of probably just really big rides with friends. Keep, keep a steady build. Um, probably continue to experiment with, with gear or just, um, building that mental capacity for AMR, but no real actual events. Um, I guess it's all kind of homegrown experimentation on the road to AMR for me. All right. That'll be the next month. We'll check in in month, month and a half, something like that. See where everybody's at. And we would be remiss to say that uh, we're obviously missing one of the crew that yes. is going to AMR. Yes, Peter Peter could not join us today because he's riding his bike. Um, and That's the only excuse we'll accept. The, yeah, that is the only valid <laughs> excuse. He did not want to talk about riding bikes. He wanted to ride his bike, and therefore he could not talk about it. That's what I'm doing next. Today. So we'll we'll hear about how he juggles a super busy dual medical career and training for a bikepacking race and a family in the next in the next version of the podcast. So So we'll talk soon. Thanks for tuning in. All right. And we'll be it. back. And thank you to Michael for the mix, uh, our audio engineer, and Q for our uh most le- timeless. Just it's a it's a top twenty summer hit. <laughs> uh the uh the soundtrack to our podcast intro music the billboards won't let it go (laughs) alright thanks everybody podcast podcast is filmed